Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to our fourth episode of James Bond Will Return, where we spend time speculating and fantasizing about all that Bond 26 could be. And it's become a bit of a spin-off series for us. And so far, we've had the chance to discuss the privileged position that we're in, as well as the producers, because this is the cleanest the slate has ever been, really, for the franchise. And that was episode one. While episode two featured George from Cinema Savvy, and he helped us dissect the whole Amazon and Eon dynamic as, as best as we could. And then the last episode before this was non-negotiables, where each of us listed the Bond tropes that we want to feature in Bond 26. And we were fortunate enough as well to have actor and comedian and Bond fan Ben Rufus Green join us for that one, which was great. On that, we must also say thank you to all our followers and fans who entered the debate on social media and provided their non-negotiables. And if they're anything or any well, like me, a little bit up and down on some of those, so... It was really good to hear from other people because you can be convinced by people's compelling arguments about what should be in Bond 26 and what actually isn't quite so important. Now, it may be that this James Bond Will Return series is how you've discovered the podcast, in which case can I implore you to check out our other stuff because for Bond fans, it really does it does go the distance with an ever-growing library of specials, in-depth focuses, interviews with cast and crew, and very, very very long reviews of the films themselves um and the other plus point is that tom hosts almost everything else making them very funny and informed and we've had so many guests and fun voices join us that it's perfectly possible you could end up joining us for a recording session like this as well on social media you can find us by looking us up at uh, really 007 pod on twitter facebook and instagram and you can check out our episodes and even some merchandise now actually on the pod dojo website which we're a proud part of that's our podcast network. Anyway, on to this episode, episode four. And in this one, we're examining and focusing on the marketing of Bond 26. So it's the marketing we're focusing on today. And we've got with us here Tom and Chris. So greetings to you two. 
Good evening. Good evening. And as mentioned, we do love to have guests on the show as we really want to represent the diverse opinion of Bond fandom. And for this marketing special, we're delighted to welcome David Zaritsky on the show. Now, many listeners will be already well aware of David for his huge influence and presence online as the Bond experience. But if it's okay with you, David, I'd still love to introduce you just the same like we do with all our guests. Uh, So good evening. Good morning. Where where are you, David? (laughs) That's a good question. Where am I? I'm in my home office. It is 2.10 p.m. in the afternoon and uh, looking forward to the discussion. So good to have you. And thank you for making the, the effort to join across the pond. Like I said, yeah, this, it's a diverse fandom and, a, and it's a worldwide fandom as well. So it's, it's so good to have you to have you with us. Um, and we usually ask our guests pretty much straight off the bat, who is your bond? Who is your go-to bond? And I don't know if that's who you grew up with or who's evolved to become your bond but who would you say is i mean the bond that i grew up with was roger moore so i have a a soft place in my heart for him Mm. that being said my number one bond the one that i never get sick of the one that i think has the most movies i could watch over and over is sean connery so i'm i'm of that ilk that i still think sean connery is the template to which all the other bonds dare i say aspire to and we compare to but yeah i'm gonna stick with sean yeah i mean It'll be very hard for any of us to argue with that. Even though, you know, sometimes you change your mind from day to day. Sean Connery for everyone, I, I just it's very difficult to argue with. And I think now when Bond's a cast, or actors, sorry, a cast of James Bond, it's Sean Connery they cite most, isn't it? That's, I suppose, who your favourite James Bond is. What about your film? Which, I mean, I don't know if I could answer this so quickly. Which Which film would you go to? It's funny, too, because there's been a lot of ranking discussion now in the last two days online. Uh, Everybody's always up in arms. God forbid anybody has an opinion. That being said, mine (laughs) has got to be a different Bond actor's film, and that is Casino Royale. And I think it just encompasses everything that I want in a Bond film. And you guys have done such a great job with the podcast in what do you want Bond 26 to be? And I feel like if I built Casino Royale in a Petri dish of all the different things that I wanted and the storyline and how it connects to people that aren't even Bond fans, I still wouldn't get as good as that movie. So it still remains my number one. Yeah, and it had a great impact at the time and it stood the test of time, hasn't it? It's, it's, it's never wavered, really. Whereas Skyfall, I thought, was a, you know, a big hit and you know, in, in every way, but it's not, it's not as solid and airtight, is it, as Casino Royale? Like you say, if you were to put all the ingredients together, yeah, that's definitely a fair comment. By the way, um, I did something very unfair. This is almost a marketing move right in the beginning, which is I chose oh. two answers that are impossible <laughs> to argue with. No one can argue with Sean Connery being your favorite Bond. <laughs> and no one can, like, I didn't say Vito a kill. I said Casino Royale, well, so it's yeah, hard maybe, to argue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still don't know, you know, what I would say myself, because the, the, like you say, Casino Royale has so many of the the features that you want, and um, it's so well made, and Martin Campbell's absolutely incredible, but... The other thing we always debate is what would you want to watch on a Sunday afternoon? And for me, Casino Royale isn't isn't that, if you know what I mean. If you want to chill out on a Sunday afternoon or if you've got family around or anything like that, you'd look elsewhere. So it, it, it just varies so much. How did you get into James Bond then? What's, what's your journey? Where did it start? Was it as a child or was it more recent? Yeah, I was a damaged child, of course. I mean, it always starts like that, right? Like any good story. But I think in my particular case, I had a father who was a very busy and successful businessman, was not the type of guy to throw a baseball in the backyard. In fact, when I would go into the den, you know, he's one of these 1960s fathers that's smoking a pipe and there's a wafting cloud across everything. Mm. And I'd say, what's on the TV? And it's 
you know, some sort of sports and he'd be like, shh. (laughs) That being said, my connection with my father was he would invite me to watch James Bond films with him. So it was the biggest, most profound psychological connection with my father. And then I rediscovered it as I was sort of a young executive, the whole lifestyle and marketing aspect of it, just being fascinated with the character and what they did from behind the scenes. So my, my job met my hobby kind of full on. Perfect. What a really good story. And I suppose it kind of leads me on to my next question, which we obviously have to ask, but for you specifically, David, how did the Bond experience start? Because that's how a lot of listeners will know you. Um, how did that start? And I suppose how big a part of your life has it become? Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer all of those because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit of an evolution. It's a little story. I'll keep it sort of conjugated, but essentially I was doing a little bit of writing and, and blogging at the time for Remard von Braun, who does uh, Bond Lifestyle, the website, which very big, well-known well- website for Bond Lifestyle out there way back when, because I was a young, when I say young, it's not going to be young to you guys. I was 32 years old. I was a young executive, probably put into high position too quickly. And I had folding money. And I thought, I'm going to live the Bond lifestyle. I'm going to get a couple nice pieces of clothing and some shoes. And I was fascinated by the way everything was made and the, and the artistry of it. And then I started writing about it and taking pictures and engaging with the brands. And this is way back when. What happened was with YouTube, I discovered that I could be creative and create videos. And oh my gosh, people outside of my mother are watching. And Mm. all of a sudden, tons of people came out of the woodwork and said, let me get this straight. I could enjoy this character and this hobby. Plus, I could wear the clothing in my everyday life. And nobody knows I'm a Bond fan. You're not wearing (laughs) Star Trek ears or Stormtrooper Ah, helmet. You're wearing a fine suit. So it's an invisible hobby. And one of the things that happened, and it was a very nice moment, it was a very sweet moment, is Remert came to me one day and said, the Bond experience has become its own entity. It's no longer really a part of my website anymore. You should really do something about that. And in 2012, I launched the Bond experience with my very first video, which was around frugal Bond, you know, how to live the Bond lifestyle without paying thousands of dollars. And around die full time, is that right? That's right, that's right. And as a matter of fact, um, I'd gone to the premiere and I wore the very first Billy Reed coat that they made outside of the one for Daniel Craig around London. So I got in touch with a brand. They said, yeah, we'll send you a coat. This is my first foray into like doing something like that and just video it. And they were like, no big deal, just video it. And I put up the video and within a month of the video coming out, they sold 900 coats at $900 oh, a piece. wow. So we knew we were onto something. Yeah. And the other brands took yeah. notice. And here we are in 2023. I was going to say, the brands must take note of that and you can really build on it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that because I think there's some, there, there's some misnomers, misunderstandings, and things that we can destroy probably in this conversation and educate people. But there's also ones I think we'll will start. Right. Amazing. Fantastic. I'm, I'm very curious as well. Now, you mentioned that Skyfall premiere. You know, it's, it's daft us introducing you because I'm pretty sure everyone who's listening will already know who you are. But because, you know, the success of the Bond experience has been huge and it's it's led you to some really special events like the one you've just mentioned. Are there any, what would you say has perhaps been the most memorable of, of those Bond events or perhaps an interview that you, you had with someone? Or well, I mean... Must be a I, tricky question 
No, no, no. It's a great question, and it may surprise you. So, I mean, the, there's ones like, you know, the ones I've had with Daniel Craig, the ones I've had with Barbara Broccoli, Michael G. Wilson, those interviews, all, all, the, all the celebrities, um, the directors of the films, uh, Carrie Fukunaga, all those were amazing. And they're very special in their own rights, because you feel like in your mind, oh my gosh, I've arrived. You know, if I, and I'm bequeathed these interviews. They're not the most special ones. Some of the most special ones are with the Bond fans, um, just people that are just really engaged. Maybe they've, um, you know, one in particular where there was a young man who started out with the Bond lifestyle because he just didn't feel a connection to the people he was going to school with and then found a community here. And to hear his story of how he connected with people online and the first time he met people physically and how special it was, those are the ones that I take into the evening as I'm having a drink and think, yeah, I'm doing an okay thing. Not the the Daniel Craig ones are fun to like do a humble brag, but it's the other ones that make you feel like when you're dead and dying, you've done something different. Yeah, that's amazing. It's quite inspiring, you know. I suppose like us with the podcast, other podcasts, and what you what you're doing, it's it should make Bond fans feel that they can connect, they can start something up. There is something to engage with, and the franchise is so big that there are so many niches, there are so many different ways that you can express your love for the series and. When you connect with each other and you, you chat to each other, it's, it, it can be really inspiring. Really 007 is part of the Pod Dojo Network. You mentioned before that you, you, know, you wanted to dispel some myths and you... you well, I suppose we'll, we'll get cracking with this the, the topic of this episode, which is marketing. We'll, start, we'll turn our attention to Bond 26, where we were assured that James Bond will return. <laughs> um, that was the marketing. Um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, we're discussing the marketing and, and the part that it could play in reigniting the character and the franchise for Bond 26. I suppose your background, David, is, is in marketing, and that's... That's, you know, a topic that you feel quite passionate about. On the whole, how much of a part do you think marketing has played in the success of the franchise, basically? Because obviously we love the films, we love the actors, we love all the moments, the stunts and everything. But we've got to say that marketing is actually a huge part of this franchise, isn't it, David? It's a huge part. And and just to even start to whittle away at it, there's the organic marketing, which is what you and I and all of us here are doing right now. So we're not being paid to do this. And then there is the paid marketing, which is a very specific, you know, uh, power play, if you will, of different things that they're doing from merchandising to the way things are grappled with from a commercial sense. So if you take all of those, the organic and the paid for, and you tie them together, marketing is huge. It's the word of mouth of everything that goes on. Like you say, you know, there's the two strands in terms of the paid and the unpaid. It just, it's huge, isn't it? It just expands so far and wide. And I suppose when a, when a film comes around, it's their job to kind of tune it into that film and bring, try and align it. And, and the, the first thing I, when I'm thinking about what Bond represents at the moment, for me growing up, I was surrounded by 007, really. The films were a big part, obviously, but it was just his name. You know, the name James Bond was a, a huge part of culture and James Bond was very much a household name. I have to say, and, and anyone's welcome to disagree with me, um, but I think that it's not the case as much now that James Bond is a household name 
for the younger generations, regardless of you know whether we like the direction of the Daniel Craig era that, that it went in, I think it's fair to say that Bond is not as well known amongst the younger generations because of those movies. And I personally think the name James Bond needs to become way more well known amongst those those younger children and the teenagers. And you know, there are other competing franchises at the moment that are aware of James Bond, but I don't think it's everyone's number one for those who are in that age bracket. We've talked about it in other episodes about it being in part, obviously not in whole, but in part for the younger generations. And it doesn't just mean five year olds, the teenage generation need to be catered to, I think. And I think this is their fresh chance, their fresh a fresh start for them to to really go for it with with that age bracket. Chris, what what do you think in terms of the demographic that they need that will already exist regardless mm-hmm. target, or do you think actually it's, it should be open to everyone? They need to catch everyone with this next film. I think it depends definitely on the direction, the tone of what comes next. I think that from day one that they've tried, even though these films are explicitly for families and for children, but from Russia with Love, you know, they were trying to sell the attaché case to kids, you know, that from, you know, from very beginning, they tried to capture that kind of audience. But I, I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that, let's say the competing franchises and really where does Bond sit in that? The, the big ones, you know, the Star Wars, you know, even things like Fast and the Furious, you know, Marvel, all those, where does it fit? And obviously Mission Impossible being that it's this closest one. But I think it is going to be really difficult to, to because how do you compete? There's so much out there. How do you cut through the noise and get to, um, you know, a, 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 a demographic that is as, as, as wide-reaching and varied as the ones that those franchises do? And I think that um, it's going to be really difficult for them. And I think, you know, maybe, you know, obviously having a clean slate is always really helpful because you can, you know, it's a fresh start. But I do think that, yeah, it depends what the ne- what direction they go with. Is it going to be a continuation of the s- similar tone to, you know, Daniel Craig's one? Or is it going to be more maybe towards kind of a slightly lighter, more sort of Pierce Brosnan kind of era? Or is it going to be completely different? But I think you're right. I think if this needs to, uh, if this franchise is going to continue, I do think it needs that demographic needs to open up a little bit more. And it is difficult because you know the, the one thing that you know it's always been you know beaten with the stick is that this is you know a film about a white man who you know well who lives a wealthy lifestyle. And I think that for a lot of people, it's not much, it's a bit of a turn off, and they can't kind of connect with that. And I think what you need to do is create a world and characters that connect to a wider audience i don't think you need to change bond i think he is what it is what he is and that is the the appeal but you can see what they tried to do with no time to die with some of the additional kind of characters it brought in to try like I say to try and get kind of interest and in, in that wider democrat demographic but yeah it's going to be really difficult i personally i think the the tone maybe needs to sort of not necessarily be a family film um but but needs to maybe just be less kind of um see well not not serious it's difficult because to to try and pitch what 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 daniel craig's that's his series has been is very difficult because each film is quite varied actually when you think about in terms of tone and the stories Mm. and things like that yeah because you can't compare you know skyfall and no time to die are very different 
different films. Yeah, I think there's a lot, lot to be done. And I think, like I say, I think maybe, you know, whether that is through, you know, merchandise, obviously is, is a key, you know, for, for younger children. I think that's most of us how we kind of got into that is, you know, we see something advertised and you think, I want, I want to buy that toy gun. I want to buy that car. I want to buy that doll, you know, that kind of stuff. And that's how it kind of grab, grabs you. But yeah, I think um, th there's a lot of work to be done. It definitely needs to open it up to a younger generation. I think if, it, if it's going to survive and have a, you know that wide range that something like um, those franchises have. We have we have mentioned merchandise and how big a part that is. As it's hard to doubt that really. The tricky thing for us having this conversation is that a lot will hinge on the direction of the film and and who the director is and the mood and the vibe that they're going for on, on how you market it because. If if it, you know if if say it was for example Quentin Tarantino he's never been part of a film project that's meant to appeal to families and things like that so it'd have to marry up pretty well with who's steering the ship but we just can't talk about that now we don't we don't know enough um I, I suppose one thing we could throw into the discussion what what, what we, the four of us want to see as fans and also what we think would mark it well is getting the balance between it being a commercial success and a critical success in terms of who do we want it to appeal to and kind of linked to that, do we want it to make a gigantic impact when it comes out? But like we kind of mentioned with Casino Al, the strength of Casino Al is that it has stood the test of time. We don't really want one that makes a huge impact, but then when you revisit it five years later or, you know, 10 years later, it's not quite the classic that you want. We've got, we've got regardless of not knowing the director, I think the four of us can talk about that a little bit in terms of do we want commercial success, critics, critical success, and and that. Tom, what 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 do you think is important right now for Bond Twenty Six on on that front? I mean, it's very interesting. The recent releases have been all about marketing, haven't they? Bar Barbenheimer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that was obviously accidental, wasn't it? In a way, because two studios, competing studios, released them on the same weekend. And amazingly, everyone's already forgotten about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. So this is how difficult it is. You could have years of planning, casting, marketing. You bring it out and then you flush the next week by another big release. So because Bond is traditionally now just pre-Christmas, isn't it? It's sort of that late November, early December kind of release. That's probably, they think, the best time to keep going with that. And they've at least got a working target towards it. But yeah, the, the marketing... And then you bring in Christopher Nolan, that shows that you could spend millions and millions showing Tom Cruise doing his stunts. But if you've got a story and older people, well, over 40s, will rather watch a three hour film about a, a physician because it's so it's been so well marketed and you've got the name, you've got the sort of the credit that's in the bank. And I even think, you know, Michael and Barbara will be looking at what on earth's happening with the amazing box office of Oppenheimer as another thing to get Christopher Nolan involved. The problem with that is that's just one film, perhaps. That doesn't dictate the direction of the franchise for the next 10 years unless he's signed, yeah. on. Unless he's signed on as an executive producer, which is unlikely, isn't it, with the control that they would still have and Amazon have. I think one easy way to do it, because you've mentioned toys and video games as well, because they're tie-ins, so perhaps they need to come after the. we know what's going on with the cast, the casting. If you think about, we, we've mentioned this before, we used to get Batman toys, alien toys. We couldn't see these films in the cinema. We were 15, <laughs> yeah. 15 and 18, but 
loads of kids bought into the franchise because of the toys and because of that world they were excited us with. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see figures of M, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know how appealing those would be to kids without a sort of more basic, generic bond with a gun, that kind of action figure. And I, I'm so out of touch, I don't even know whether kids go for that these days. Well, the, 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 the strange thing is, Lego, for example, pushes a lot of these things. Like I saw, you know, you can get Lego for the Batman, the recent Batman yeah. release that was a 15. But Lego is interesting because obviously adults like Lego as well. Mandalorian, there are figures and vehicles available in a Disney store, which children go to, and there's T-shirts and things like that, even though I can't imagine they watch it quite as much as they like the name and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's strange how toys can really, or video games or anything like that, can flourish without a younger fan base necessarily engaging with the story of a film <laughs> um, or, you know, having even seen it, maybe. And I think, I don't you know, we might mention Christopher Nolan a few times, but it's really interesting the point said about he could give it everything now. His name alone would would be a great marketing move. But we do need to think about the next film after that and how how helpful that is for the director that follows him and things like that. It's They've got to have a huge impact for Bond 26, but leave it in a pretty healthy place as well. So it's a really tricky dynamic. What, David, if I come to you on the same question, what, what, what do you think, where do you think it really needs to make an impact in terms of its commercial or critical success? I'm going to diverge in a very different direction. Because, Go for and, it. And, and listen, this is hopefully why you invited me on here. There hasn't been a podcast that I've been on that hasn't said, you've got to be more diverse. You've got to focus on the content, targeting the audience. It's all true, but it's not the core of the marketing aspect of what's success or failure. Like, for example, Tom Cruise could not have known Barbenheimer would happen and that these releases of these specific movies that have nothing to do with the spy genre would take away the box office. And that's exactly what happens. So they've got to think about release dates. They've got to think about a swath of time, at least three weeks on either side of them. If you have a really successful movie the week before, you're screwed. If you have something within the next two to three weeks, you're screwed. So you've got to look at this giant block of time, which is very difficult. You've got to talk about who are the other support teams, like all the brands that we've talked about. Can you get them in alignment? Are they having launches mm. at the same time? Those take 18 to 24 months to create a clothing line based on something that needs to release. A watch takes two years to design from Omega. So all the things that you've seen released in the last six months they were planning that two years ago. Um, the other thing that I'll say from a content standpoint, and I don't disagree with you, Chris, about creating a, um, a very diversity-filled world around Bond, but don't touch Bond, is when I was connecting with Universal Studios and having conversations with them, one of the things they, they were talking to me about was the action genre and the whole idea of targeting. How do we target the teenagers? How do we target young people? They missed a trick to which they're not missing anymore, which is you don't actually go out and target them. The people that think Bond is a misogynistic pig, a relic of the Cold War, they will never go see a Bond film. However, they may accompany their father, their mother, their uncle, older friends, colleagues from work, to a Bond film as a social engagement. So what Universal now is doing with their action genre is they're targeting people like us who are the voices, if you will, to then engage other people that want to give Bond a second try. Or maybe this is a new type of Bond or they're bringing something a little bit more engaging. So 
I agree with all of you. I think the next bond from a marketing standpoint needs to be a little bit more, I'm going to say it, frivolous, fun. You know, maybe not Roger Moore, maybe somewhere squarely around the Pierce mm-hmm. Brosman, but maybe not the dourness of Daniel Craig. And I love the Daniel Craig movies, maybe except for one, you know, the one where he blew up. But <laughs> frankly, that even in that, one thing is, is that that was a bond that never looked like he was having a good time, even when he was having sex and drinking and all the things that we enjoy. He just didn't seem like he was really having fun. And I think an audience, I don't care if it's 15-year-olds or 55-year-olds, they want to have fun. They want to escape when they come to the movie. And that's the basic of a Bond film from 1962 or 1927. Yeah. 2027. I think that's spot on. One of the reasons Skyfall was so big, particularly in the UK, was because everyone's parents went, you know, and people went back two or three times I, I mean, our parents are a good gauge of this. I, I mean, I don't think they bothered to see Casino or Quantum at the cinema, but they'd seen and heard the good word of mouth of Skyfall after it had been out. Yes, there are other factors that it was the 50th anniversary. It coincided with the London Olympics and things, and Bond, of course, doing that amazing thing in the opening ceremony. But the good word of mouth and the return to a more entertaining, aspirational Bond that, that's got to help. And I think people just want entertainment. And if they hear that the film has gone down well, I even heard my mum and dad saying they, they want to see the Barbie film. I mean, that's how ridiculous is that? Did you hear the <laughs> secret of that? The secret of that is that now that they've got a lot of, you know, the ticket sales, at least here in the United yeah. States, that the 50% of the audience for Oppenheimer are under 25. Wow. So they were doing the Barbie, the Barbenheimer type thing. Oh. They were doing it with their parents. So it was like, listen, if you go see Barbie with me, I'll go see Oppenheimer with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's the type of negotiation that is fun, that takes a life of its own that I remember even as a kid. I remember going to the drive-in and seeing movies that I didn't particularly want to see, but I remember falling in love with them because I'm like, oh, there, there it is. There's Casablanca. So I don't think we've lost that. Yeah, again, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but the the sequence of events for the recent releases is always tend to be a press conference comes first where i don't think the title's always decided it'll just say bond 24 or bond 25 and then the director we, we've all we've already already known it's been daniel craig do you think they need to just move away from that and try something different or is that is that a tried and tested way that engages with the media most of all because it's i suppose it's kind of pitching to the media when they do that as much as anything else. Um, what, what, what do you think the first move, David, should would be? Well, I think, I think the preheat is extremely important. The preheat is everything. So, you know, even before directors announced, they'll establish, if you're going to have the same writers, you know, then they'll establish the writers. Or there may even be an announcement of pre-production has begun on Bond 26, unnamed. Before, that, before any names are released. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well up into that. I mean, the history proves it. I do, again, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works. Look at that. I, I UK'd it for you guys. Um, <laughs> I didn't say wrench. I said wrench. But the thing that you've got to think about today is the way people like to receive this type of news and share it. So creating, I'm going to say almost quasi-media kits. So when Eon announces, and I, it's a whole conversation we can get into, maybe we shouldn't, about, well, is it going to be Eon-focused? Is it going to be Eon slash Amazon? How much influence does Amazon have right now? Um, I know we would all like to say as Bond fans, not much, but what are the realities behind that now? Um, Have things changed behind the curtains that we haven't seen? 
So depending, if it's Amazon, for example, the way they like to do it are countdowns. They like to do preheat countdowns. They usually have a four-step process from a marketing standpoint that lead up to the exposure of a movie. They actually like to talk about actors being engaged. So actors, you know, for Eon, it's writers, story, pre-production, director, actors. And then they have the press release where everybody sort of comes together. Amazon does it slightly different. I don't know if there's a better way to do it, but I do know one thing. I'm a little surprised that nobody has said anything like, we're targeting the year 2027. You know, that's when we want a Bond movie to come out. I know it's difficult. Um, and I know they say they want to get it right and take their time. The last movie finished editing in 2019. So I would think from a pre-release I would hope at some point they'd be able to sort of set an agenda for how they're going to film the next one. So setting a date almost. Set a date. Save the date, if you will. <laughs> so Christmas of this time. And, and again, I go back, and this is why I started this. I have found out so much in the last two years about releases and the timing of those. And so the sooner you can get those and create that sort of opening and hold on to that, the better off you are. I'm thinking when when these things are done, and hopefully, sorry, I'm going to come back to you, David. How much can truly be done behind the scenes without people knowing, and you know, media not being allowed to say anything? Or as soon as things confirmed, does it have to be made public? How how much yeah. can truly get done without the world knowing? It's a shocking amount can be done. There are things being done right now. There are brand situations I know where I'm embargoed legally. And because yeah. of that, you have the media who imagine going to a journal, a trade, the BBC, anybody, and saying, you're embargoed with this information. We've invited you to be part of this writer's room. If you talk about it before this particular date, you will never be invited back to anything. Yeah. Content is king. Your content would dry up immediately. Your relationships would dry up. So it's not just litigious from a legal standpoint. It's also your bread and butter would dry up. So it's an amazing amount now. When you hear, oh, Babs has leaked out some information that this happened, and I don't mean Barbara Broccoli, I mean the gossip colonists. Many of those times, and I'm sure you guys are well aware of this, it's very purposeful. You know, when a yeah. guy shows up at a restaurant and there just happens to be 20 paparazzi there, and it's like caught meeting with another director, a lot of those things are orchestrated. And, and I'm not saying Eon does that. I don't believe they do. Because I think Eon thinks, I think people think Eon is this giant corporation and they are worth billions, but they are a small family-run group. And I mean that. When there is a movie, they engage lots of partners, lots of agencies, um, let, let's say extensions of their staff. But when there isn't a movie, they're actually a very, very small group, smaller than you would even imagine. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Simon. And I'm James. We want to talk about those movies, those supposedly bad movies, those movies that bombed. To see if they weren't that bad after all, join us every other Tuesday on the For Your Reconsideration podcast, part of the Pod Dojo Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and all your usual podcast apps. And it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. <laughs> it's like it's free. <laughs> it's just like it's free. <laughs> I'm, we've been in a situation like this maybe when in the 89 to 94 gap, where there was nothing on the horizon. Timothy Dalton ostensibly was still under contract, so he would have come back if he'd agreed maybe in 91, 93. 
as we'd have loved, we'd have loved to see that, of course. But now that there is no, it's the first time, to my knowledge, it's the first time in the history of Bond where there's been no actor who is Bond at the moment in between films. Because there's always been, say in the old days, between Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton, they'd already started getting on with the script, they'd, they'd chosen the title and everything. They'd started filming some of it and Timothy Dalton wasn't even ready to be done for Gibraltar, was he? I think they had stand-ins the first day. But with this, this is the first time where perhaps announcing the casting of, of who is James Bond might be the best marketing tool of all, of all. But they might get cold feet because look what happened to Daniel Craig when that happened. You know, it's it's a difficult one to gauge and sometimes the fan base might be buoyed, but I'm sure David will say that it's not necessarily the fan base who they're trying to please here. It's product placement, it's the money men, it's Amazon, and it's the wider cinematic uh, forces that are going to go and watch the film eventually. Well, I, I will say this. I think Eon is good about they want to please themselves first in the sense that they're making the movies for fans, but ultimately they're making the movie they want to make. It's not about the brands or making the brands happy. I think that there's a little bit of give and take there, but ultimately Eon has a very, very, I don't want to say controlling, that's not fair, but protective. Mm. You know, they're the custodians of the brand and they do a good job with that. But I think you're right in the sense that Never in history has it been more important to choose a James Bond that I think could be part of the marketing vehicle. I just did a video on the fact of, you know, using Chris Dolan, who, Chris Dolan, Chris Nolan as a marketing vehicle, just like you would use Hans Zimmer as a marketing uh, vehicle to do your soundtrack. They could have picked a hundred people. They chose Hans Zimmer, you know, they chose Billie Eilish, you know, for a reason. The actor, um, and, and I'll put this question to you guys, quid pro quo. Do you feel the actor is going to be chosen from a marketing standpoint, or do you think they're going to get an unknown because that's just historically what Eon does? I think the difficult thing to mention first is obviously that if it were Christopher Nolan, he would want to be involved in the uh, the casting. And I think if if it were someone the size of Christopher Nolan directing, then I think there's more scope for a more unknown James Bond, if you know what I mean. If, if there's an unknown actor taking the lead if they've got the backing of the huge name you've announced as a director then people will get on board with it but if say you know if it was a lesser known director and then they then there was a lesser known actor playing james bond there's a lot there for the public to try and get their head around and you know like tom mentioned the reception of daniel craig was a little bit cold when he was announced i think that dynamic would have to work here i think it might well come as a pair I don't know what order you announce it in or what order it's even signed on in, but the balance between the director and the lead actor, I, I'm trying to think That's of the work point. where if, if, if it were, uh, you know, a large name directing, could they also have a large name playing Bond? It's possible. Of course it's possible. I don't know. I don't know. It's a difficult one to yeah, answer. Yeah. Go on, Chris. I do. I do, see the, the, I do think that the, the big name director is a modern thing, isn't it? Because before Sam Mendes, these were very much journeyman filmmakers, you know, or people who were obviously who were then kind of like promoted to, to, to obviously John Glenn being a prime example. So I think it is. This is a modern thing. He's having the director because Casino Royale, you know, 
we didn't have he wasn't particularly well known neither of them were particularly quite well known you know obviously you know within the industry they were you know established uh, you know kind of names but they weren't kind of no one's going to go when or oh, when's the new uh, Campbell film coming out you know um, so I think that it is it is it, this is what makes it so exciting is that it is all bets are off is that we've never been here before we've never had uh, we've never had a period where we don't have anyone cast as a Bond we don't have any doubt but we've got this little you know the dangle of you know let's say Christopher Nolan who has as he said you know his career you know you see the influence of this franchise on all his work you know he is an exciting choice and a really interesting smart choice to kickstart the franchise again and i think that that is that that's it would be and and the, the and also he seems to have this this golden touch who would have thought that oppenhauer would have made this amount of money uh, no one would have done that and i think that 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 it would be interesting to see what he can do with that franchise. I'm sure he's got very, um, you know, kind of strong uh, opinions. And, and I think that's good. And I, th- I think that's good for, for Eon as well, is maybe to have someone who's not going to, you know, agree to everything and push back on certain things. I think that's, that's good for the for the brand. And I think it's good for the, for the um, you know, the, the, the films themselves. So I, I, I'm really excited. You know, if we don't get Christopher Nolan, we'll always have the what if, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, but which is, you know, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. Personally, I do think if they're going with Nolan, I think that he will be the driving force. He will cast it. He will, you know, and that will set it in motion. If they don't, if they somehow they can't catch Nolan, it'll just be interesting to see who is up. And obviously, there's some already some you know names that are being kind of banded about. You know, Matthew Vaughan being one, which may be a bit too obvious because of obviously his his own franchise. But I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go. And yeah, act actor wise just someone who just yeah just has a twinkle in his eye you know and just someone who has fun it doesn't have to be the best actor in the world but just has charisma just has something that's what i'm after it could be anyone i think chris nailed it because the one thing i'll say about the actor is and this is absolutely the, the 12 year old child in me is i want a really great ambassador again Yes. You know, I want like yeah. a Roger Moore type ambassador because the biggest marketing device you can have, and I, I've got to say, Tom Cruise is an amazing marketing device, mm-hmm. doing his own stunts, connecting. He shows up at movie theaters. He's smiling at everybody. He engages. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Morton Steingrenson, who's in part of the Bond community, interviewed him. And he said, when he's looking at you, he could be surrounded by 10,000 people, but he's he's with you. He's with you for those 30 seconds you're interviewing him. And I think that's a certain... It's not something you can learn. And I'm just going to say it. You know, Timothy Dalton, uh, George Lazenby, certainly Sean Connery towards the latter part of his tenure. And, of course, Daniel Craig. They didn't have it. You know, they they did not. I mean, I can speak firsthand. Um, nice enough people, I'm sure. Uh, but the marketing and the PR were absolute chores. Not something they're natural with. Maybe nobody should be natural with. But they weren't having a good time. And, again, this is about us wanting to go on the ride with them. Gone are the days that we look at celebrities as godlike figures. We want them to be everyday Joes that we can slap on the back and have a beer with. It's not realistic, but that's the part of the marketing zeitgeist that we've created. So to Chris's point, I want that twinkle. I want that ambassadorship. And then, yes, I don't think he needs to be a trained Shakespearean actor. This is Bond. He speaks without words many of the times. I was going to kind of back that up by saying, you know, the name Henry Cavill gets mentioned, and I, I like Henry Cavill. I don't think he's the best actor in the world or anything like that, but obviously part of that is how he looks. But part of the reason I'm drawn to him as a contender, I'm not saying he's my front runner or anything, but I, I 
would be very happy if it's him is because he would want it. He would be that ambassador. He would be passionate and proud and privileged. And that's why it's nice to hear Christopher Nolan talk about it. You know, it'd be a privilege to, to be asked. And I do think we need that attitude back. Tom, what, where, where do you stand in terms of actor, director, that balance? Yeah, I mean, the most obvious thing to say would be you've got a ready-made director who's free, who would be popular and would pretty much guarantee bums on seats in a quality film. And you've got an actor in Henry Cavill who has helmed a massive franchise. He can do what David says, that perhaps four of the six Bonds haven't really done too well. He would jump at the chance of being Bond. He looks young enough for me to do it for another 15 years, I think. I know they've said this thing about the 30s, but that that can stretch. I, don't, I wouldn't worry too much about that. And I think David's, David is right. I think Eon will want the final say in who Bond is. The trick is then, who, how do they market that person? If you've got a Chris Nolan directing it, there is less pressure on the actor, I think. And I yeah. think that's a bonus for an unknown or someone lesser known. It's a bonus for them. Yeah. And then say they can, further down the line, we know what happens with the marketing. We need a big-name Bond girl or we need an Oscar-winning villain, someone like that, to, to add to the mix. So the pressure, if you look at you know some of the first Bond films that there were, even Roger Moore's, you surround him with the colourful villains who are taking up all the screen time. Bond is just being, it's just Roger Moore being Bond, isn't it? And he just he's almost in the background, but he's a great steadying presence. And the film isn't centred on him. It was more difficult for Daniel Craig with the script because the whole film is Bond and his character. And I, I think that would be t- too much to put on a new actor's shoulders. I mean, he, he did a great job of it, but I think to sort of have Bond as not as the main character, as the protagonist, but not focusing on his character too much, that might put off your Christopher Nolans, though. That might be a, a bridge too far because that, um, you know what they're like. They, they like to explore the character. They like to do something a bit differently. Equally, you could say that's how the franchise has survived. We've had various fresh twists on the formula. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems. Problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But that means there is a formula. And I always say that, that the formula doesn't mean formulaic. It just means a set bit of values that you have in each film. You don't even have to have all of them. I and mean, when we did the episode of the non-negotiables, say you had everyone had 10 things they want in a perfect Bond film. If you're getting six or seven, everyone's happy. And it could be any of those, any of those 10. And I think even if you have someone like Christopher Nolan you will still get those, definitely. So, Tom, you've just mentioned the franchise does have its formula. Christopher Nolan mentioned in that comment to the media that the director would have to work within those constraints. Do you think that's what 
cinema fans and Bond fans want as well. Do you think that's? I think that is what people are yearning for, isn't it? Really, they want they want those constraints themselves. Would, would do you reckon that's right, Chris? Yeah, I, I've always I've always said this is that that, that, that you know it is the, the the formula itself. What it what, you know the series you can you can push it one way or another, but you still have to be true and faithful to the parameters, and it's what the parameters are, is what makes it successful. It's what it's the parameters that people come back to. It's parameters that are comforting and makes you more creative. I think once you can do anything and everything. You end up going wild directions, and, I, and and what I love, and when people say, "Oh, it's so formulaic," you just you know, you set up, you know, you got a baddie, it's going to, you know, either you know, ransom the world, you know, or you know, there's always something. It's like yes, but it's how you get to that. It's how you get from A to B is the fun part. Is doing it with a character that is beloved, and he's having fun. You're having fun. It's escapism. And I think that's that. Like going back to David's point, is that it is absolutely for me, and it it was, you know, with the novels and everything that Bond should be escapism. It should be. I I am not privy to that lifestyle, but I can still enjoy it through that character. And and you know, in, one day when I win the lottery, I might be able to, you know, <laughs> you know, buy that watch or you know, buy that car. But in the meantime, I get to I get to enjoy it, and you know, occasionally you do get to treat yourself to, you know, or wear a suit, and that moment when you you know do you tie up, you think actually it may it may not be from Savile Row, but for that moment I do feel pretty smart, and you know I feel like Bond, you know that's what you live for, and I think that um, yeah, those parameters I, I'm all for, it, and I'm really glad that Nolan did say that. Because I don't want this to go into wild, you know, territory, new territory. I want him to put a fresh slant on the formula, and that's exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that he said it, so that even if he doesn't get the gig, he's made his point that whoever get, does get it, you you follow, you know, you you follow the rules a little <laughs> bit. And this might be a too broad a question, David, but in terms of marketing, are there certain rules and traditions that are tried and tested that will work, or? Uh, is there is there anything inventive that can be done that hasn't been thought of before? I don't know if this is something you've given thought to. Yeah, there's there's different things from a process standpoint that I think are tried and true that have served Eon and Dan Jack very well. For example, every time they have um, a Bond film, they have sort of what's affectionately called a Bond Bible. It's a playbook, if you will, um, that they create. So yeah, a lot of this is for the brand's sake. But it's basically what would Bond do and what wouldn't Bond do? You know, what are the parameters? When you have uh, Bond in the theater, what can you do and what can you do as the distributor in those theaters? So, you know, you can't have a guy dressed in a tuxedo, you know, handing out guns made out of licorice. You know, there there literally is a do not do this type of thing. And those type of guardrails... I'll call them for the for the brands, for the distributors, and for the people that engage from a licensing standpoint with Bond have served them very well. And, and I, I used the word controlling before, but what I really meant is they're very careful. And because of that, Bond is seen. Chris just noted this uh, with clothing and lifestyle as a premier luxury brand. I mean, it's a premier luxury Bond brand. But it's also a movie brand. When you think of, you know, I I have the distribution rights, you know, or I, I share half of the ownership of the Bond brand. You know that Amazon said we want that because of the panache that that brings. I mean, owning half of the Freddy Krueger series, not as much. Um, just doesn't come with that, that highfalutin sense to it. So I think that 
they've done some things in the past. We were just mentioning uh, when we were in the green room, there is a green room here, <laughs> that Skyfall did it right. You know, first of all, they had the Olympics. So my gosh, you're not going to get better than that to really push and focus and refocus all age groups onto Bond. The other thing they did with Skyfall that did so well was they put experiential moments in the real world. So they used Coca-Cola, they used Heineken, they used Omega watches to set up booths and experiences. So if you're working, walking through an airport or a mall, you're encountering Bond everywhere, little tests, little missions. Remember all those during Skyfall? And then boom, 2015 went a little bit quieter. And then No Time to Die, of course, we had the pandemic. It went really quiet. You had no experiences. So what I would do for Bond 26 is I would, <laughs> I would release the Kraken as far as experiences are concerned. If I'm being kind of magic wand at this moment, I would get a... Go for it, David. I'm going to do it, man. Thank you. I would get a geographical cross-section and an age cross-section maybe even a gender cross-section of James Bond fans as a focus group to get together on what do they want to see? You know, how do they want to experience Bond in the real world? Maybe it's like Chris said, maybe people want to go to Savile Row and see how a suit is made, or, you know, maybe people want to fly in a jet like James Bond, but how do we create these experiences that people can talk about? Barbenheimer came about because people talked about it. They envisioned it. They created this. I'll, I'll never forget, I came out of Mission Impossible with my wife, and everybody was dressed in pink, and they were going to Barbie. So how do we create that type of movement and inertia with James Bond? And so I think that there's a lot of things, uh, location-wise, geographically, that we have yet not done and focused on yet. I think GoldenEye, when that came out, managed to get that experience you know, in terms of fans talking about it, wanting to go, taking over the, the cinemas and uh, everyone want, wanting to, to see it. Yeah, I think in some ways that would be the blueprint, but up to date, you know, for for whatever year it is, for it's like 2025, something that's, you know, things might have changed. Like you say, if, get a focus, if there were to be a focus group, there might be some surprises in there, you know. Yeah. It's difficult to be absolutely sure. Tom mentioned before video games. Is that is that some, a place, do you think there's a, definitely a place for that? Absolutely, still. Yeah. Still, very much so. I mean, you know what GoldenEye's done, you know what some of the other video games. The problem is what I call the great weight. And the great weight is everything that we've encountered, everything from, you know, location tours to um, obviously the the live, what is it called? Get Around the World with 007. Oh, yeah, they, sh yeah. they should have launched and they yeah. didn't. It's been delayed. And all the things that you're talking about, all these delays, like a video game. We were supposed to have a video game some time ago, a new video game. And here we are. We don't have it. So it's yet another thing that creates an obstacle to the marketing. Could that possibly be that they're aligning things better? You talked about aligning things. What would, what, you know, and it's, through no fault of no time to die, but a lot of the marketing did get out of line because of the delays and yeah. you know adverts were being released after the you know months after the film. It could well be that these delays, that the the absence of any update and delays on that Amazon program, the delays on the video game, are to do with striking that alignment that they, that they need to get. But should video games precede the film? Should they be with the film, or should they be a totally different story after the film? Is the is the do we need does the film need to create the environment, and then lots of marketing comes after that? If you're using the video games for targeting, 
of a particular prospect or age group, then you usually want it to happen beforehand. Again, you're releasing the crack and you're reawakening that target audience to become more involved. And then by the time a movie comes out, they go, there's a movie to support this. There's all these other yeah. aspects. So I think, I think one does tend to come before the other. The nice thing about merchandising, again, going back to what Chris was talking about, it happens beginning, middle, and end. You know, the merchandising, mm-hmm. a lot of people scratch their heads when they look at 007.com, the store, and they say, why on earth are we charging $250 for an Italian t-shirt? And a lot of it is to get the communication out there to sort of raise the resonance of the brand itself to a particular audience. Talk to us about merchandising then, David. <laughs> There's, you know, and like you say, it can be before, during and after. What could be the first move merchandising-wise? And and does it hinge on anything else happening first? Or could could they very well be getting on with it now if, if they were able? I mean, I'd like to think they're getting on now. I hear rumor that we are going to get that sort of lifestyle show, um, the one that everybody's been talking about. Who's the guy from Succession? He's hosting it. Um, oh, Brian, Brian Cox. That's it. Yeah. That's it. He's hosting it. I think that's coming in November. Okay, so we don't certainly don't have a movie out anytime in and before them. So that's their way of engaging people. By the way, what did everybody think of that? Is is that considered a big launch to the Bond fan? I'm trying to. None of us know his name. <laughs> is it ro- <laughs> road? Is it road it to something? Or road to, yeah. Road to perdition. No, road to yeah. illness. <laughs> road to yeah. road to double seven. Is it road to James Bond? Yeah, maybe something along yeah. that line. Road to a million, is it? Road to a million. Yeah, could be that. Road to a million. But I mean, there was a lot of excitement at first and now sort of just petered out, even though in November it launches. But I don't think anybody's talking about it yet. So I don't think it's the size of the marketing initiative. I think it's how much it connects with your audience. Yeah. I think that might be quite a good thing because it'll appeal to a completely different audience than the normal. And it's something they haven't done before. If it's like a weekly show where the fans are... And it's sort of not live, but you're following a journey. A bit like, I don't know whether, David, in America you've had, what's it oh. called, Chris? This, um, isn't the US traitors, called The traitors. Amazing Race traitors. in the US? No, I don't yeah. have Traitors. Yeah, Amazing Race we have. Traitors is basically a murder-in-the-dark type game in a castle. It's all about backstabbing and trying to get rid of each other. If there's that competitive element to it, that'll bring in non-Bond fans who want to see it for the characters who are there. And if you add on that, extra James Bond element to it with the locations, maybe the vehicles, some characters. I think, I think it might be quite good to just to keep like Harry said at the start, how do we keep Bond relevant in the average general public's eye in this interim period? And I think I, I have only heard negative things about it, but that's because it hasn't come out yet. No one really knows what it is, but that could be its greatest asset. Maybe should be. And I am probably the last person that will ding anybody for creating that, my whole thing is when I, when a pharmaceutical, so I work in the pharmaceutical industry, that's, that's my marketing realm as a vocation. When a pharmaceutical company comes to my company and they say, David, we have a brand that's going to be launching it. Uh, let's have fun. It, it, it has, it's for erectile dysfunction. That'll wake up your audience. And um, here's the story we need to tell. We don't think about, okay, we've got to get the word out. We got to create a big blast. We don't do that in marketing. What we do is we say, what is the beginning of the story? What's the introduction? What's the middle? What's the continuation? And what's the bridge in between? In other words, like any good story or any book, you have these sinew, this connective tissue between each one. 
For me, the, the issue, if I have even an issue with the bond marketing right now, certainly with bond 26, is there doesn't seem to be any connection. I don't feel like there's a ribbon that's consistent with the marketing. One day we'll get a Stife Bear. Another day we'll get a Backgammon set. Then we'll get something we can all play with, like a Lego set. But then we'll get a show, but then we won't get the show, but then we'll get a video game, but it's been delayed. But then what about the movie and how do you look at the old films? But then the old films are on Amazon, but no, they're not going to be on Amazon. They're out there. It, it, I feel like there needs to be almost like, and I'm not saying there isn't, but a one company omni-channel story that connects these, that has plan B's and plan C's when things get delayed, that can slowly eke out a story so James Bond doesn't go dark. Because I'm telling you right now, and I'll say this publicly, the brands are so thankful for Tom, Harry, and Chris, and David. Because the brands right now, I mean official brands, like big official brands, are so thankful because the word and the story are coming from fans. We're discussing it on podcasts. And this, whether you're against marketing and you hate the t-shirts or you hate the teddy bears for for $300, you're still talking about it. You're still making James Bond relevant. And guess what? Marketing's working. You know, the more they get people upset about a backgammon set, it just was three days worth of posts, folks. Thank you for the relevance. (laughs) Thank you for the number one Google resonance. So I, I do think that, again, if I was part of the machine, I would want to sit down and plan it out in almost like a a document that sets up a cadence to whenever the new movie comes out. I was hoping that with Amazon's involvement, there would yeah. be a much more yeah. coherent plan. That, that, that like you say, that everything would be nicely jo- joined up, and it would just be something consistent. And like you say, going back to the video games, is that they've not had a video game released for how many years? On so you would have sold, you would have got that obsolete technology if you know, unless you're kind of hanging on to your PlayStation Three or something. Where was it for PlayStation Four or the Xbox? Where if you were a Bond fan, you'd still go back to that and play it, and you you it keeps your interest. Right when when Goldeneye came out on the N sixty four, that was that was when uh, Tomorrow Never Dies was actually released. But you just kept going because that was you just kept going back to it because it was so good and it filled that void of there is no Bond film at the moment, and that's what we need is that it needs just something. And I don't think things like that, you know, the reality TV series is 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 enough to to get people excited. It's something. But I don't think it's it's enough to keep, like, say that that brand alive. And I, I really, I was really hoping that that maybe Amazon's involvement would have just, you know, with that powerhouse behind that. Because, like you say, if if Eon is such a, you know, almost like you know, cottage industry, they need that, you know, that oomph to keep things going, and and they can con- concentrate on the story and the film and and everything else, and let the, the 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 machine work its wonders with advertising and merchandise and everything else. But in in parallel, as opposed to you know, kind of dribs and drabs, you know, it's kind of kind of like just every now and then you get something new. Chris, I love. There's a division you're making from a strategy standpoint, which is. Let Eon continue with the creative aspect and let Amazon handle the operational. You know, the, and, and I think the execution would involve the marketing, who you really can't deny Amazon as one of the 
major and maybe even number one outlets mm. uh, from an advertising and growth standpoint, whatever political proclivity you do or don't like with them, it's hard to argue it. Plus, they see James Bond as the absolute jewel of mm. their collection. I mean, even Bezos is like he's always dreamt of having a, a Bond relationship. And so you know that they would love and cherish and not do anything to besmirch it. They wouldn't turn it into uh, yeah, a Disney situation. Exactly. If and the, the, you know, you'd still have the, the, the you know, the, the well, let's not the creative control of let's not spread ourselves too thin, which is obviously what we're seeing with you know with Disney with a lot of their brands is that you've got film after film, then TV series. And I think we're getting to this point now where people are just, it's just too much. It's just, oh, what, another TV series? Oh, is this, is this, is this tying into the, that TV series or that film? And, and I think it's just kind of lost any kind of semblance of, yeah, it being kind of coherent. I, I just think that, you know, if, 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 if Ian can protect that, the central, you know, you know what Bond is... Let, let Amazon, you know, do the advertising. Let Amazon run everything. It just seems to, to you know, be a shame to, to you know, say that it's such a huge operation. Um, and by the way, Chris, know. maybe we have our wish. Maybe that's exactly what's being negotiated and happening right now. And that's mm. maybe why it's taking so long, because those things do take years. Yeah, which might explain the slight delay. I know there was a video game announced a few years ago, wasn't there? And then obviously with the TV series, maybe there is sort of let's slowly, like, let's say, have a game plan yeah. in place. Can I ask a question like of the two of you? Um, and, you know, if you don't mind, I, I'm not, it's no, your no, podcast, no. Uh, but I am <laughs> curious. So, Tom, maybe we'll start with you on this one. Um, when you do see the merchandise, and, and it, this has been a relatively quiet year, I think, for merchandise compared to last year where you had the 60th anniversary and it seemed like every week something was coming out. As a Bond fan that isn't David Zaritsky, who seems to collect everything, um, <laughs> much to the chagrin of his wife, what does it make you feel as a Bond fan? Does it feel too much? Are you just looking for that own sort of jewel out there as well? Or how do you feel about that? I think something like that's involved for me because when you're a kid, you're not sort of necessarily bothered about brands, but you are bothered about the aspirational Bond. You want to? I wanted wanted to wear a suit. I wanted to borrow a dinner jacket. You know, as soon as I was big enough to fit in my dad's one, I wanted a dinner jacket. I, I had the replica Wolfer. I wanted to go around with that. The marketing thing is crucial to that. And yes, I, I and but as you grow older and now you know starting a podcast and being an adult Bond fan, even though we're all kids at heart and we love that's part of the reason we love it because it it reminds us of our childhoods and growing up. But now, now we're adults. We really want to sort of. I particularly enjoy thinking that I could even be Bond. I'm, you know, almost his age or whatever. And when you, you know, we we were at the 007 GB Gala recently. That kind of thing is like, wow. You, you get up to dress up. You get up to feel a bit like Bond. You're meeting Bond people. Now that's not not everyone can do that. But there's something that you can't quantify about that feeling of being in Bond's world. Going to a glamorous location, you know, if, you, if you're able to go on holiday, or I mean, there's a few places even in England where, oh, that that was in that film or that's in that book, and when you can go there and see it, it just it just springs out to you. It really makes a difference. So that's something, perhaps not some Bond fans, particularly in England, they sort of like you say, they see those two hundred fifty, three hundred dollar teddy bears, and they're put off by it, and some might see channels advertising different things and they're like that's not what bond's about but we know from this there are so many different types of bond fans the bond lifestyle is one type uh, of way people love it 
Others is reading the books and having book clubs and discussing it. Another way might be the visiting the location from the films. There are very different ways of, of being Bond fans. And like you say, we're, we, us creators, content creators, are keeping that going and making sure that there is this ready-made audience that will be willing to switch on and hopefully be very positive when the next train comes along. And I, the one thing we haven't mentioned, actually, is the books. Now, I know the Fleming Foundation is separate, isn't it? It's not really Eon necessarily who are doing all that. Very separate. But yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's why they're so prolific at the moment. And we've had we've had three books, haven't we, in the last year or two? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be another one coming soon, isn't there, from Kim Sherwood? So we're very blessed in that sense. And they have not needed to think, oh, heck, Bond died in the last one. What do we do? No, they're just writing Bond as they know Bond, and they're just carrying on as normal. And particularly the Charlie Higson one, the recent one, dead short, dead simple, didn't need anything to go really into the background of who Bond is. You instantly knew this is the same Bond we all know, on and off the screen, on the page. And it's almost, I want that Bond on the screen. It's funny you're (laughs) saying this too, because there's a psychology, even though you're separating the Bond books from the merchandising, there's there's an overlapping psychology, and that is being Bond or putting yourself immersing into the world of James Bond. Because when I interviewed Charlie, the one thing he said was he pretends he's Bond. He becomes that kid pretending to Bond to put Bond into situation and how he would get out of it. Just like Chris and you and me and and Harry may be pretending to be Bond when we dress up in a tuxedo or buy a particular piece of merchandise. And the brands know it. The brands know that we are people that are trying to either A, capture a moment from the film that means something to us psychologically, maybe it brings back a childhood memory, a smell, a feeling, or that we are escaping by playing the role of Bond because Bond is that kind of, you know, uber human that we can live vicariously through. So there is a lot of overlap. What do you feel about the the, the merchandise barrage that sometimes comes I out? Think, is it embracing I, or off-putting? I think it's it can be, yeah. No, I think that the merchandise is, is a tricky one because I think, like I say, I, I totally understand that you are selling an aspirational kind of lifestyle, therefore, you know, it, it is exclusive. And with exclusivity, it comes at a price. And I, and I understand that. Um, I, I, what I'm interested in is how you um, almost cater for, for each kind of, you know, like demographic as such, that you've got such such exclusive brands that, you know, maybe 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 not quite the 1% can afford, but, you know, this very expensive, very exclusive things. And I know they, 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 there was something on there about some holiday packages they did recently. That Black was, tomato. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tomato. And, oh, yeah. And, but at the same time, you know, I suppose that there is, they are sort of catering. You know, you could, you know, stretch to some, uh, you know, cufflinks, you know, a tie. You know, like I said, the Lego was, you know, obviously is, is, is very affordable. And again, you've, within that brand, you've got, you know, you can go from, you know, small little cars cars to in the same way that they do with star wars from a spaceship to some battle ship or whatever that's like three four hundred pounds but yeah i think i think that's what i think i understand why people may be you know like say annoyed by it but i, th- I think that just comes with the, the 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 brand i think it's 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 like I say for some people that's what it, that's how they engage with that character is that they get to live out you know, you know. I imagine having an Omega watch. Every time you look at it, you think of Bond, and and there's something special about that. But I think that I think also there is a sort of middle ground, and I think at the moment there is, and maybe it is that kind of 
you know that kind of the way that everyone's cross about how like let's say that how expensive teddy bears are that people aren't quite seeing that there are other within the, the, the that there are actually more affordable things for yeah. fans to do it the, the, that we're so angry about a 300 pound teddy bear that we are forgetting there is a bingo board set that there is you know let's say ties cufflinks you know models you know posters and stuff that is affordable for for, for everyone that it's, it's like again it's like the outrage is just is deflecting from what actually they're, they're doing the, the dirty marketing secret and it is a dirty marketing secret is 75 percent of the things on 007.com are under 25 quid yeah. The reason they don't get a lot of focus and attention is they don't have the marketing dollars that mm-hmm. an Omega watch has or a Stife Bear or a backgammon set worth 5000 Those companies are going to be putting a lot of noise out in the hemisphere. And so that's what we capture and consume. We're not seeing the you know, pencil set that you could easily purchase for your son or daughter to go to school with and introduce them to James Bond. So it takes a little bit more investigation, but you're right. The affordability is there. Mm. Is there not room for everyone in terms of, you think, like some of the posters we had on our walls when we were children were from Smith's Crisps potato chips, A View to a Kill. You know, we can have this high level where fans can really buy into Bond, but it'd be great to see him on the back of cereal boxes and on crisp packets and those kind of things. And that, again, that's where you want a brand ambassador, someone who's willing to smile on the side of a Coke can, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and I think that would go a long way as well. You, you, the image of Bond is so iconic, the tuxedo, the, how suave he is, that that is such a selling point. Just putting his image on anything increases the discussion massively and the perception of a film coming out. Surely it's time to do that, because they've not done that, for the, the as far as I'm aware. They've not been willing to, I don't want to say dumb down, but you know, put Bond on everyday consumables. Yes. And if you have a family-oriented film, if you have something that's a little bit more approachable, and I'm not saying you go to PG and make it a Disney film in Technicolor, but to your point, if you make it a little bit more friendly, you can do that. You can put a Bond sticker on the side of a, a, you know, a banana. I don't know if you guys do that over there, but we have these little character stickers on bananas, and there are kids that buy the bananas in the grocery store based on the fact that it's got the Frozen characters on it or something else. I'm not saying I did it. I'm not saying I didn't do it. But, I mean, this is the type of thing I'm talking about where even with, um, I'm old enough that I was around with View to a Kill, a young person, and I remember on Wonder Bread, on the bread, you would get the little card packs in there and it would be, you know, Roger Moore's outline on the side of Wonder Bread. And and for breakfast, you'd be staring at, you know, James Bond and wondering like, when am I going to go see this terrible movie? Maybe that's a bad example. You'd collect those things. They're not expensive to make cards, posters, packets. So, so cheap and easy. But a child, collectors, fans, they'll collect that stuff. And, And I, a lot of my channel foundation, and I don't do these enough anymore, but I did do a few this year is talking about the frugal bond and the whole idea that anybody with any kind of spending money you can go to a thrift store and get bond-like clothing. So it's taking the the you know a polo, Tom Ford polo, the Spectre one costs nine hundred and fifty dollars for a polo, like what I'm wearing, nine hundred fifty dollars. Ow! So how can you get that same look uh, by going to like um, you know a J.C. Penney or you know T.J. Maxx or something like that? That had created my biggest entry point on my channel, where suddenly my audience went from 
45 to 65, and now my channel is skewing 25 to 45. Like the bulk of my audience is 25 to 45 years old because they see an outlet. And I think to Chris's point, what a lot of the younger people are doing is go, someday I'm going to get this blue polo for 15 quid. Someday I'll get the Sunspell polo. And I'll work up to that. Or they use that as a goal aspiration. But it, it does create, to your point, Harry, you have to create paths and avenues. And I don't think the, the official marketing of James Bond makes it obvious on how everybody can get there when they put out luxury item marketing. Do you think that, I'm not talking about the film here necessarily, but it's obviously linked to Bond 26. Do you think Eon or Amazon will take any big risks at all? Do you, do you think they're going to, change anything and surprise us i mean this isn't necessarily what i'm thinking about but perhaps in some way we've got to prepare ourselves for a new 007 logo haven't we sure maybe the logo itself is coming up to a time when yeah yeah exactly do you think they're going to do big things or do you think they should should or will play it safe i think they're going to surprise us all by doing exactly what we want them to do (laughs) <laughs> because I I really think they've been all about, you know, this, you know, we, we fly by our own flag and good on them. But I do think for this next one, they want to create something that's embraceable. And we haven't even talked about because of course, it's all speculation. None of us know anything really. You know, is this something that they're getting ready for a new generation? You know, Greg Wilson, or maybe a new generation of owners, which, you know, any of those possibilities are out there. But if I was to do that, I wouldn't create another niche film. I wouldn't create another No Time to Die that was a little bit of a, you know, artistic film with an artistic ending and really, you know, veered heavily to the left. I would say, you know something, we are going back to our roots that Cubby Broccoli and and um, all the producers made wonderful. And I love that you guys have been doing a countdown. And I have this weird feeling when the movie comes out in two to three years or whenever, um, I'd love people to go back to your podcasts that you do in 2023 and revisit and see how much of your non-negotiables are in there because mm. I have a wonderful feeling they may give us our non-negotiables this time. You could even look at the way Force Awakens came back. That gave a lot of the, the tropes of Star Wars. It was fun. It was escapist, but it did set up for a new generation. And a lot of the merchandise you could get in the supermarket, you know, like mugs, t-shirts, dressing gowns, things like that. And they have created, we know about Mandalorian Disney series and things, but Force Awakens did something huge in terms of that next generation. And Bond has so many long-standing traditional tropes and things that would definitely engage people, would definitely be able to restart and push forward into the next few decades. Surely, I, I mean, I hope you're right there, David. I, I would be so pleasantly surprised if they give us the it's thing a wish. Talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is the silence something that is exciting to you or disconcerting, David? Is, is you know, the silence on things or does that, is your hope that that's them getting things aligned secretly? You're going to hate my answer. And I'm not trying to be elusive in my answer. I don't care. I, I, I don't care about the silence. <sighs> Let me put it to you this way. I feel as excited about Bond during the silence as I do when there's a movie. For me, it's just different experiences. When there's a movie 
There's official things coming. There's events. If I get invited to them, that's amazing. I can cover them. So from a coverage model and what my channel performs against, it's much more of a specific cadence when there's movies. But I'm also, you know, there's embargoes and things I can and can't talk about. During years of silence, like 2023, I crack my knuckles and I go, it's all fair game. I'm going to, you know, have a, a video coming out tomorrow on this. And then when we have something like an Olibar Brown Octopussy launch, for me, it's even more special because it's like a cracker in the desert. Mm, what is that thing? Oh, my God, it's so delicious because I'm starving for it. So I find these wonderful moments of relevance in the silence as well as the noise. And I don't know if that answers your question, but... No, it's an, and it's part, part of the reason we've kind of done this mini-series is to actually enjoy this privileged position that I've talked about that we're in where we can speculate as much as we want. We can, you know, almost fantasize and feel that we've got some kind of power here <laughs> in determining what happens. And it's, it's, it's great. You know, we'll, we'll come to a close soon. But David, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to mention, if there's something that's not kind of come up in conversation, you know, something that you've thought about and stewed over and thought the next film needs to have this with regard to marketing or the last few films have been missing something. This is going to seem incredibly self-serving, but I actually mean this from a fan standpoint. I really do hope that Eon embraces the fans more this time than they ever have before. And that doesn't have to be, I'm not talking the horrible world word called influencer or content creators, whatever you want to call it. That's whatever. I mean, that's transactional many times. I'm talking about the fans. I'm talking about the clubs. I'm talking about having conventions that are James Bond conventions and having more Bond events that are fan focused on a regular basis. Big ones, small ones, uh, ones that are geographically supported. Use the Bond fan community. It is such a rich, diverse community. You've got every walks and styles. And I've never seen a community, I hear this from people outside the community, that yes, we have, like any community, our, our, our you know, tarnished apples, if you will. But for the most part, everybody pretty much supports each other. And I think, I'm just going to say it, you know, places like DC and Marvel and Disney, when they find a community like that, they absolutely embrace it. They take advantage of it in the most beautiful way. I think Eon, Danjack, certainly Amazon, I think for Bond 26, they need to embrace that even more. And that would make me incredibly happy. I, th I was thinking something similar as well with regards to even just sports. You know, if you're kind of taking someone new along, whether it's your child or a friend, it's not necessarily the the actual sport that they fall in love with, but the community, the fact that they belong to Saying they see people wearing jerseys and you know certain shirts and scarves and hats, and there's not been that environment. The last few films haven't really built that environment of a community where we can proudly dress up as Bond characters in a in a knowing way because it's tried to you know veer towards a claim in in some ways rather than you know it's not it's it's taken itself quite seriously, hasn't it? I think they need to embrace all the things and and not take itself seriously. The dressing up the part of a community the the conventions like you've mentioned i think that's that'll be such a rich source of creating new fans as well because those are the things that you invite people along to or those are the things that you see a hustle and bustle of in a city an event and posters so yeah that's a great point that excited me then just thinking about say eon or whoever could mobilize the troops and the new casting is going to be announced on this day and to celebrate it there's going to be an event in manchester there's going to be one in london there's going to be one in new york where fans can get together, 
maybe there'll be a video shown but it's a chance to sort of celebrate and then they can do it for the launch of the song then they can do it for the teaser trailer and the main trailer and it gets everybody mobilized and talking about it people who see that from afar i remember you know even when we were in london in our tuxes the other few weeks ago people immediately like are you going to this bond event even though i don't know you know i don't know how they knew but just things like that synonymous with bond that people see going on in their town that would be incredible if the fans were involved in the unveiling of something that's a surefire way to get them on board as well if they if they felt that they've been part of it if they feel that they were there for someone being unveiled then it's not separate it's it's they're part of it and i think that would be a huge move yeah in defense of eon in that in that regard the only asterisk i'll put on this is that way in the past, and I mean way in the past, um, fans have been sometimes, I'll, I'll just say this, difficult, demanding, and I think that the reputation of the fans may have some muck and residue that I'm hoping over time, with, you know, served of good behavior, you know, like a jail term, um, that we've shown in the community, I mean, it's all out there in videos and events, that we've become a very different individual. You know, we're not the people in the in our mother's basement with the light bulb hanging above them. And if you are living in your mother's basement with a light bulb, it's fine. <laughs> You're good too. I don't want to besmirch you. But I, I think that it's changed. And I think if they look around and recognize that and how things have changed, uh, they'll be better off because of it. I think this this absence and this gap is generating something, isn't it? It's, it's, it is building up something without them having to work very hard. <laughs> So I think even the, even the silence and the gap is marketing in itself. It's building that hunger, isn't it, and that appetite. Like you say, perhaps the fandom are leveling out a little bit. They're mellowing and starting to unite on what they all agree on rather than when they've got a film, then they can pick it apart and, you know, kind of have varying views. Whereas now this gap is building something and the fans are kind of coming closer and closer together. They're building a... a and that, the term you used before, which is great, is preheat. I mean, I don't know if that's a, a marking term I'm not aware of, but I think there's something building, isn't there? There's something cooking and just by them not necessarily doing anything, <laughs> free marketing. It'll be the first Bond actor introduced in our world of social media and platforms. Even in 2006, yes, it was Facebook and stuff, but it wasn't really viral. You couldn't really do it the way you do it now. There weren't channels like David's and ours where we devote a whole episode on like reaction to the news that there's a new bond. You know, we would, and that's what we've been doing. And perhaps it's that canny marketing that I don't know, David, whether things are a coincidence. You know, Aaron Taylor Johnson was seen at the Sound of 007 concert. You know, these kind of things. The press will be talking about that and not sort of talking about anything else that's going on. So it keeps us interested in what's going on. So I, I, I think that'll be really, really fascinating to see the stages that we're at. And the, you said the preheat then the actual heat. I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how the fan base reacts to it. And it will be like build a bond, build the pieces. How are we seeing them coming together? What the speculation will be massive when we get the casting, when we get the director, and we see some of the marketing come into play. We'll be creating this bond film in our heads that we imagine we want to see. There was a bit of that with No Time to Die, but of course, you know certainly, well, it's got to address, we know Madeline's in it, so we've got to address that. We know that Blofeld's in it, it's got to address that. And you sort of, where's the room for everything else? But this, it is completely fresh. Absolutely perfect position for everybody to be involved in, even if not everything is exactly how we want it in the finished product. Yeah, there's so many pieces, aren't there? Like you say, building the bond. I'm hoping that they can really stretch it out rather than one big release where you find out everything. They, they have the ability now to drip feed so much 
and just the smallest bit of news will be talked about so far and wide. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating period we're in, and that's what we enjoy talking about. I, I really loved your answer, David, about you you loving the silence because I think even though we get frustrated, it's actually what we're enjoying right now. We're in, we're enjoying the silence, aren't we? And, and the speculation, the chat, and and you know we'll press on with this series, and then as as you hopefully you predict, we'll look back on these episodes and see we've been building some kind of blocks that resemble something to something close to Bond 26. David, before we go, you recently released your video talking about Christopher Nolan, you know, spe- you know the pros and cons and weighing up uh, his name being attached to a Bond film. But what is there, is there anything that you want to point fans in the direction of? And obviously us as a podcast, we'd love you to go and follow the Bond experience if you don't uh, already and like them because it's, it's amazing the stuff that you're doing on there but is there, is there anything that's coming soon or anything you're working on or anything that you've done already but you want more people to be aware of up and coming i would say the second half of the year is going to be very different than the first half of the year the second half of the year is going to be much more location-based for my channel we are traveling every month all around the world which is great and bond-oriented stuff so you will see sort of the marketing engine heating up a little bit on that. So there'll be more coverage of that. What I think I'd love people to really expect and pay attention to is covering, again, I, I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to sound like a broken record, are the fan events. Um, we have one coming up called Gather All. It's our fourth or fifth one, actually, where we have hundreds of people gather physically. Can you imagine that? Physically. <laughs> um, it's crazy talk, I know. To just talk about Bond. I mean, in this one, it's bigger and better than ever, just like you would want a Bond experience to be. But we'll have coverage of all of that. Um, the channel is really about two things. It's about showing that there is a ever-burning passion around the experiences that the Bond franchise can give us all. Whether you have $1 in your pocket or unlimited, it's, it's really not about the money. What it is about is sharing. Just like you guys created a podcast because you could have gotten in a room together and just talked to each other and then said, we'll call you next week. But you wanted to share. You know, you wanted to connect with other voices. So I think the sharing in this community is something that I want people to go out there and yeah, that's fine to follow the Bond experience. Go follow others. Find two new ones every month that you're not following because they're out there and there's new ones all the time and they just want to be heard. You know, people just want to be seen and heard and connect. I mean, it's the most fundamental of human connection. So have fun. Amazing. David, that's quality. Great words. And it, um, it really has been our privilege to have you on the show because marketing will be a huge thing for this film. It's In many ways, it'll market itself. In many others, there'll be decisions made that are fairly crucial but to have you on the show sharing your expertise but married with your amazing passion for the franchise it's just been perfect having you on here and you've you know you've come out with some absolute gems that have made me think and get me excited about what's possible you know i'm being serious david it's been great to have you on and thank you for taking the time out to, to chat to us about it obviously we'll, we'll keep in touch we'll all keep in touch with fans and the the chat goes on not just on this podcast but on social media the comments the threads Let's keep building towards something, keep that hunger alive and hope that the powers that be are tuning in, they are watching. Next time when we uh, chat, we'll uh, be on to another building block, I suppose, of Bond 26. But this has been a great marketing chat and it might be even one that evolves further once we know more. Once we know more, we might return, who knows, and have another chat about how we market this director or how we market this actor or how we market this title, you know, this controversial title they've come out with. I have no idea. But yeah. David, thank you for joining us, and Chris and Tom too. Until next time. Really the best.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.